0: Welcome to the Sweet Tea Shakespeare After Hours where we offer you in-depth conversations,
1: insider insights, and a sneak peek behind the scenes.
0: Good morning. Well, it's morning for me. It's almost afternoon for you, right? <laughs> it's
1: almost afternoon. I'm getting
0: there. <laughs> yeah. Where it's still early in the day, all sorts of horrible things could still happen here and it would just be morning. In California, Uh, good things should happen too, theoretically, right?
2: Good things could happen. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going on vacation. That's good.
0: That's exciting. Uh, Where are you going?
2: In quotation marks.
0: Yeah, I know. What will you be doing on vacation? I'm
2: going to Asheville for a week uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, and then I'm going further into the mountains of North Carolina to seek a social isolation.
0: Wow! All right.
2: My hope is that any disease I could confront will be drowned by um, alcohol and and uh, visits to breweries. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> we'll See how that goes. Uh, yeah, all right. And then in the mountains, I hope to see no one. Okay. We'll see how that goes.
0: Well, that's fun. You know. So. Enjoy that.
2: Yeah. Looking forward. Um, it's my anniversary today.
0: Happy anniversary! Thank
2: you. I've been been married um seventeen years.
0: Goes by fast. To the same person. Good job.
2: That's an achievement.
0: It is. I agree with you. It is an achievement to be celebrated. That's great.
2: Hooray! <laughs> what you been up to?
0: Um, uh, I mean nothing super exciting that i can talk about (laughs) um nothing to speak of really just getting through life here uh working on various writing projects and uh you know our social isolation uh just a weird summer with the kids like because they can't really do anything much (laughs) So that makes it hard, but, uh, we're doing okay. Uh, watching lots of, uh, movies and stuff. Um, we watched the, uh, Eurovision movie on Netflix last night. Have you seen this? Do you know what this is? Okay. It's a, uh, it's a Will Ferrell movie, um, made for Netflix. Uh, and, uh, it's Pretty funny. Um, Are you familiar with the Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is an American film uh, about the Eurovision Song Contest starring Will Ferrell and uh, Rachel McAdams as uh, two people from Iceland. Who've grown up in a small Icelandic village, who since they were children have sung together, and um, desperately want to be in the win the Eurovision Song Contest. That's their big dream. <laughs> and I mean, whether you find Will Ferrell's shtick to be funny or not is really going to go a long way towards you know just you know uh, you liking the movie or not. Because it's sort of very much in line with his sort of uh, angry, egotistical doofuses doing ridiculous things, um, sort of mode of of, uh, of of film. A little bit less of an edge than than some of the more egregious examples of that, but it, it it's funny and. Um, it's not, you know, it's not perfect. It's uh, as far as Will Ferrell comedies go, I, I tend to really particularly like the high absurdist ones, um, like Anchorman or uh Step Brothers the best, where their sort of unhinged impulses are given total free reign. And this is much more sort of uh. Pedestrian is not the right word, but normal. It's a movie that normal people could watch. But there's just enough weirdness in it to also be enjoyable. It's not like A-plus material from them, but it's fun. And Rachel McAdams is very, very good in it, too. It's a They have a fun dynamic. So, All right, I'm I, putting
2: it on my list.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend
2: that. A signal. Damn.
0: Available on Netflix for everyone to watch now. And uh, it does feature a lot of past Eurovision Song Contest winners, which is funny. Like there's this extended song sequence that features a whole bunch of them, which if you're a big fan of Eurovision, presumably it would be very exciting. I only happen to know who like a couple it, it took about. It's a long song sequence. It took about a minute for me to realize, oh, all of these people, I think, are Eurovision winners. <laughs> so it would it would probably play like gangbusters in a very different way to somebody who was familiar with these people. Um, and the novelty of Eurovision in and of itself is it, it adds a dimension of weirdness to it, to probably people who, who aren't familiar with it. If you ever watch Eurovision, though, it's, it's an extremely accurate portrayal of what that thing is, which, if you've never seen it before, is going to be astounding that it is not one bit heightened from what the actual thing is at all. <laughs> so, go on watching that. Then. And then, maybe uh, go down a YouTube rabbit hole for Eurovision, because it's truly amazing
1: it's one of these things that really
0: gives you this sense of like the sensibilities of uh you know the pop the pop and popular cultural sensibilities of um of Europe broadly speaking are very very different from Americans <laughs> like it's like oh we we we're not like normal in any real sense you know we're we're just what we are and they are what they are which is a really different thing so. Check it out. It's fun. You've been consuming any interesting media recently?
2: I consumed nothing. Ah. Uh-huh. I haven't consumed anything.
0: <laughs> nothing. Right. Well, fair enough. That's probably good. It means you've been productive.
2: <laughs> I, hope. I hope to get into Perry Mason.
0: Yeah, that looks interesting, right? Um... Did you ever watch the Raymond Burr Perry Mason series when yeah, you were like a kid, I like in syndication? I've never seen a single episode of the original Perry Mason, so I have no emotional connection to this. But I do like. Um, oh, what's his name? What's Matthew, his, the actor's Matthew, name? Matthew Reese. Yeah, I do like Matthew Reese. I uh, enjoyed the Americans very much and like the Mr. Rogers movie last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh so i am interested in seeing that it's interesting because robert downey jr and his wife are the producers on that and originally he was supposed to play that part when they sort of were developing it which might have been interesting in this weird era where movie stars are doing like the biggest movie stars on earth just like pop into tv every once in a while i have a friend who's a working actress who It irritates to no end what television is like right now because, you know, 10 years ago, she would like a person with her resume and in her career position would certainly be like a series regular on a sitcom or something like or a TV show at this point, uh, a a drama or whatever. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, now all those parts are going to movie stars, which is upsetting in our weird little constricted entertainment economy where there aren't as many opportunities in movies anymore because they That's don't make money in anything. Yeah, I know.
2: We're developing. Well, as you know, I'm in the live entertainment business and uh, mm-hmm. nobody's figured it out yet. But, yeah. but, but. The the thing that makes me most frustrated actually is not that we haven't figured it out because it's a complex problem, but but the like, um, the 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 groups of people who get angry at the other groups of people who are trying to figure it out. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's this yeah. whole segment of of the population that's like, we're going to do nothing for three years. Uh, or whatever it happens to be. And I'm like, that's not, that's like, that's a really great, privileged, endowed often, place to operate from. <laughs> and um, right. uh, I just think there there has to be some sort of place in the middle. That's me.
0: Do you find so, you're getting, are you getting a lot of pushback from people? Or I'm there... personally or... not
2: getting any pushback directly. Mm-hmm. But also, we're being pretty conservative about yeah, it I, seems I, I to really me undertake things, but, but, uh, the circles I run in, certainly there are very, very strong opinions that are, that are sort of like, um, like push it, you know, like we don't need to be no, no live events whatsoever. It's unethical. It's all of this. And, and I think, I, I just think there's, there's a, a step back from that that also makes sense. Yeah. And that is responsible.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you would think so. It's a frustrating thing about the moment that we're living in right now is that it feels like everybody's position seems to get like pushed to weird poles in some ways. And I mean, I, I couldn't say this for sure, but I, I it seems to me that what you're talking about is partly a politicized response as well right now where people feel this need to sort of hold certain lines just to emphasize to people (laughs) that you know this is the right thing to do and it's just making i don't know for massive dysfunction in every sector of her (laughs) country (laughs) that's super fun too um yeah i don't know i mean you probably saw this like the uh that Florida town hall that they had where um, a whole bunch of people were getting up and uh, angrily, you know, denouncing the, the plan to have people in the town wear masks. Mm-hmm. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Well, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's easily found like on, on Twitter or just, you know, lurking around on the internet. Um, and I mean, it's like, People like it's a group of women um, who uh, sort of one after the other got up and just angrily screamed about why wearing masks is this horrible thing. And um, it's funny because somebody cut it together uh, with footage from Parks and Recreation. Of people sitting in the uh, of responses to uh, listening to people in town halls like say crazy things and it just you know doesn't uh, fits right in there slots right in um, but it is sort of this example of it's like what how do you have such strong feelings about this it's like this this people it, you couldn't be asked to do less do you know what I mean it's like as as far as the thing goes it's like just put a thing on your face when you go outside. It's really not that hard, and apparently could do a lot. But like people just have these super intense, strong, strong feelings, and it's like I don't think you actually have strong feelings about this, right? This isn't what you have strong feelings about. You have strong feelings about something else, and this is the thing that, you know, you're used, <laughs> you're you're diverting that into. And it's like, and and that just seems like all of our conversations now. It's like. You know, uh, people getting mad at you guys for doing anything. It's like, you don't really think this is a bad idea. You think something else is a bad idea. (laughs) But this is the thing that you're using to make that argument. And like these dumb proxy arguments for like bigger political philosophical disagreements is a frustrating, uh, you know, thing at the moment. I don't know.
2: Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you're saying. It's a, it's people are in a moment where they do not have control. No one does and are looking for, um, opportunities to express and assert the, the control they have, which is really over their own opinion. And that's about it. Yeah. Kind of, you can kind of control your response. I mean, some people can, but, um, and that's, that's kind of what we're seeing as that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, you know, it, it, it is a moment where people, I think, feel so helpless. And so all you can do is, you know, try and, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's the same thing, I think, that leads to conspiracy sort of theories in general, is people uh, looking for some way to get a handle on what are essentially sort of inexplicable or, or things that don't really have any meaning, you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) and, and that's terrifying, right? To live in a completely disordered world that doesn't, where, you know, awful things happen and they don't actually mean anything is, is very upsetting. And so I think people find comfort in saying, you know, it's the fault of, you know, whatever evil force or whatever, or it's a representative of of some horrendous thing. And it's like, yeah, bad thing maybe just happened. (laughs) And that's not satisfying in any way, but my personal feelings, it might be closer to the truth than anything else. So, oh, that's super fun. You know what else I've been watching? I started watching the sequel to The Shining last night the dr sleep movie did you ever it just hit hbo max this weekend um came out are you are you aware of this movie Mm -hmm. it yeah i asked because it did not do well in theaters uh dr sleep it was kind of a um kind of a a flop but turns out to be an interesting film especially uh because it's doing this fascinating thing where it's based on Stephen King's uh, sequel that he wrote to The Shining, Dr. Sleep. Um, and Stephen King famously uh, does not like Stanley Kubrick's uh, Shining film uh, adaptation starring Jack Nicholson. Uh, but um, the movie, Dr. Sleep, adapts um, the Shining, or adapts the Dr. Sleep book with Ewan McGregor as a grown-up. Danny Torrance is the kid in the uh, original book and film. But aesthetically, it is a, uh, it's not a remake, it's a direct sequel to Stanley Kubrick's Shining. And sort of him marrying together Stephen King, Uh, Stephen King sort of Preferred, I think, approach to the the shining world and universe with uh, the aesthetics of of um, Stanley Kubrick, and it, it's it's a fascinating film. Mike Flanagan made it. He's the guy who did the um, Haunting of Hill House um, mini on Netflix. Did you see that? It, it, you know, he's not. I, I should
2: say I saw it in the
0: daytime on purpose. That's, well, yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> that is it, uh it's a terrifying miniseries, right? The I mean that it it it's hard to find something that's genuinely unsettling. And Flanagan, you know, he's not Kubrick in terms of um his visual style. He's perfectly fine, you know, uh visually, but you know, Kubrick is Kubrick, whatever. And so in that way there feels something a little sacrilegious about trying to make a sequel to you know the to a kubrick movie especially one as beloved as as the shining and uh but flanagan is really good with um with horror surrounding children and also uh sort of legacy familial issues like that that's something he did particularly well in um the haunting of hill house and it it's a skill set that applies really quite well to doctor sleep uh which is a really irritating title every time I say it I, I like find myself cringing a little bit internally but that aside <laughs> it's good it's good I recommend it and for fans of The Shining it um really pays off and or shot The Shining film Kubrick's The Shining as well as the book uh it pays off in in really interesting ways at the end of the film the director's cut is available alongside the um, theatrical cut on HBO Max, and I would recommend the director's cut uh, for anyone interested. And you can kind—it's of, three hours long. You you can watch it in chunks, but it's uh, it's worth looking at. It's a good film.
2: Alright, it's something else on my list.
0: Add it to the list. Hooray. Um. Actually, what we were planning on sort of discussing for the main bulk of our conversation or discussion here today, uh, something else to add to the list. Alexander Hamilton. That's right. Uh, Disney Plus is going to be releasing their um, filmed (laughs) uh, production of, well, their film version of the original production of Hamilton. Starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the original cast. uh, On Disney Plus. And that is happening. On the 3rd of July. Which is just a few days away from us. So we thought it was a good opportunity. To talk about Hamilton. Uh, Jeremy. Want to kick us off? What are your thoughts?
2: Um, I love it. I think it's. The how do I say this? We're talking about Hamilton a lot this week, and I and and I have lots to say about it, but nothing I don't think that's ha- that's not been said before. Sure. Um, but at at the uh, at the risk of of being too much of a fanboy, I mean I just think it's maybe the most important piece of popular culture in the last decade. Uh, and, um, uh, on top of that, it's just really, really good. Like, almost impeccably so. And, uh, uh, yeah. And the, 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 the the thing that I think I appreciate most about this particular moment is that, um, the creator and distributors of the piece recognized the moment and like changed their approach with regard to how it was going to be released and their business model essentially entirely, uh, in relatively short order to get it in front of eyeballs. Um, now, and, uh, we didn't know, they didn't know at the time, I'm ah, not sure they knew at the time that, uh, I can't remember if it was like right before the George Floyd stuff. Um, might have been a few weeks before, but but I, I,
0: yeah, the announcement that it was coming to Disney Plus d- did happen on that day, did happen before all of this happened, yeah. yeah.
2: So, it so, I, yeah, because my memory is that there were sort of it was the it was a gift of response to uh coronavirus, and it turns out that it's going to be a
0: has it, yeah, a lot more because of the moment. Additional potential applicant, you know, interesting thematic resonances with our current moment. Uh, yeah, the original plan for this particular thing was that it was going to come out in theaters, I believe, next year. Uh, was the intention and it was going to be a theatrically distributed film uh, by Disney. Uh, and yeah, as you say, it was um they changed their plans because of the coronavirus situation to put it out on Disney Plus, which uh, I agree was a good idea. It's a good thing to do. I, I am in agreement with you about um, Hamilton in general. It's. And and your uh, assertion that it might be, you know, the most important uh, piece of pop culture in the last 10 years. I think there's a strong case to be made for that. Um you know, that doesn't sound hyperbolic. It might even be, you could make a, you know, you you might even be able to make an argument of the 21st century so far in the United States. There's been no other, you know, piece of art that's as um, important at least pop cultural, uh, you know, pop art that's as important or meaningful or influential as Hamilton. As fascinating that it's a piece of theater, certainly it's the most uh, important piece of theater mm-hmm. for I mean I, I don't know how far back you would say importants a hard thing to say I mean um, it depends on how we're describing important but it's the most uh, popular thing that's happened in theater since I I mean the last thing that had any kind of comparable, Impact on pop culture that I can imagine or broad, you know, culture is rent back in the mid 90s. And Hamilton's far, far larger than that ever was. You know, I think that yeah, if you have to go back to almost mid century to find, you know, a, a, a piece of theater that was as broadly disruptive in the culture as as Hamilton has been. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are other there are others that come to mind, I mean, in terms of. But none of them are this big as you say. Book of Mormon was the thing. Yeah. Or in yeah, I mean, it, um, yes, that's and, true. And and you know, you've got Les Misérables in there and you have cats in there and Yeah, they a joke
0: that was a joke. No, well, it, it's it. they're reasonable. I mean, that's the thing. They there are they are reasonable things to, to But it is the thing that's surprising
2: about. about is what you point point to, which is here is this piece of theater in a sort of post-theater culture. Um, mm-hmm. The first, it truly in the the first, not the first, but the 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 one that's had the most impact in the digital age. Yeah, is this piece. Um, yeah. and of course it is a piece that incorporates the digital age because uh, of its music. I mean, its its genre mm-hmm. is sort of necessarily built around. Um, Around technology in ways that some of those others aren't, They aren't built around the specific technology of hip hop and um, and uh, so it, anyway, I mean part of no, you're right about about uh, Hamilton is that it's it's everything that's been happening sort of in edge theater um, for for a while now. I mean at least 20 years.
0: Particularly in terms of its staging conventions. Yeah.
2: And, And, uh, and here it is sort of so, I mean, the material is, is so good that it sort of culminated. It's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's the culmination of everything edge theater has been trying to do for a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, it I mean define what you mean. Really, what
0: really What good. do you mean by edge theater when you say I mean, that?
2: Um, uh, in the the theater, the off broadways, um, the mm. the village theater, the the avant garde places. So the in in theater, the the move has been, I I think this is right. I'm willing to be corrected, but I think the general trend has been, while film technology has been going towards the spectacular, theater the theaters. Have done one of two things. They've gone the sort of commercial uh, Disney route. I mean, we're gonna we have to talk about Disney when we have to talk when we talk about this now. They've gone the high production, high spectacular route, or they've gone this um, disintegrated, post structural. um,
0: It's like um, your Ivan Van Hove sort of broken out, um,
2: and this is that. It's actually a marriage of both of those things, I think. Um, but but it, it, it is the culmination of that second kind I think yeah
0: no it's staging is very much in keeping with that kind of uh, highly theatrical and minimalist and you know um, thea- those uh, theatrical design uh, trends uh, like um, so yeah it, it is very much in line with that while at the same time married to this sort of unabashedly pop uh, sensibility in part, that's conveyed through the music but then um it's interesting though because it's like while you know the the thing that is interesting about it is it's it's pretty good hip-hop music um it's pretty good you know uh for that which is a tough thing to do like um musical theater that draws on popular musical styles uh is famously you know that you can get good theater you you can get pretty good songs out of it for theater for theater but there's always an asterisk next to it a little bit it's like you know the theater version of rock is never really rock you know what i mean and theatrical versions of hip-hop uh I, i i don't think anyone's ever really done a credible job of it up to this point um on this scale before and it's legitimately good um but maybe there is a little bit of an ad i mean the thing is also this got actual radio airplay like the songs you know um and honestly you do have to go back to the 80s since you can find uh to find any hits that like legitimate radio hits that came from a show to you know a show uh, and that would have been in the middle of the sort of, you know, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webbery, bubble Schoenberg, uh, um, or the, or chess, <laughs> which while we're talking about it, uh, and the Eurovision Song Contest too, um, that era has one of the craziest show tunes ever to make it into like actual radio airplay from chess. It's the, uh, the sort of one night in bangkok song and i every time i hear that song on the radio like on an oldies thing it, it blows my mind that that song became a major hit it's a fun one to listen to i don't deny that at all written by the uh, um you know male hat well written by the songwriters of abba uh and uh And uh, they didn't do the lyrics on it, but, you know, it was it was their music. And um, you can hear that in there. Yeah. Eurovision Song Contest winners, ABBA. And uh, what's amazing about it is the lyrics of that thing are so specific. So, so specific to that play and the events happening in it. And it has this great hooky sort of um, chorus. It's like one night in Bangkok and, you know, the people singing you can hear that and like rest on it. But I cannot imagine what any normal person in the 80s was thinking when the lyrics started on that. And the guy's talking about chess and he's talking about like European uh, resort villages. And all this. it's like, what do you think this song is? What do you think this song is to like a normal person? And they probably aren't listening, but you just imagine somebody in the 80s driving in their car and that comes on and they're like, What 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 is this? What is happening right now? Uh, (laughs) And, you know, they're they're so specifically, you know, to the uh, related to the context of the thing. Um, And a little bit of that happening with Hamilton as well. Like the songs are are very specifically, you know, specific to the story. I think part of what helped as well is that he did, like, the um, side concept album where uh, actual sort of hip hop artists um, did variations on the songs that stripped some of the more specific story elements out of them. And those did get a lot of radio play as well. So it's an interesting phenomenon. But for all of its, like, attachment to hip hop culture and whatnot, the the thing that's striking to me about it is that it is... Um, formally, you know very traditionally musical theater uh, ish and uh, the comparisons to those 80s musicals like the Andrew Lloyd Webber or name um, is you know uh, musicals is that it's clearly heavily influenced by by that particular era of um, musical theater it's entirely sung through not like your sondheim shows where there are plays and then you know um or you know sondheim who harkens back to the rogers and hammerstein um, model where their plays with songs dropped in um lin-manuel miranda is clearly sort of aligning himself more with that sort of 80s um 80s version of musical theater, which is entirely sung through, Mm -hmm. like uh, Cats, like Les Mis. Um, And the album is, you know, similar to those as well, the Hamilton soundtrack, because it's the entire play on the soundtrack. If you
1: enjoy the work of Sweet Tea Shakespeare, the number one thing you can do is log on to patreon.com slash sweetteashakes and make a monthly pledge. Those pledges start at $5, uh, and they go up to $500. Actually, you can set whatever amount you want. At certain levels, there are great perks, including in-person tickets, uh, and those include all digital access throughout the year. So if we have a streaming event, a streaming concert, um that's that normally you would pay for patrons at the $20 level just get in they just get in it's uh delightful um but that is the greatest way that you can show support to sweetie shakespeare and help us continue to do the work of this podcast and so many of the other things that we do throughout the year
0: you know i i don't know that there's a more you know going back to what we were saying it, it's interesting to watch that become this like super consequential piece of art to, to younger people in particular. And I, I can't think, and to the way that it's created Lil Ma, Lin-Manuel Miranda as a celebrity, I, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think there's anybody else in the history of American entertainment who is a comparable figure to that guy.
2: Barbara Streisand right is the closest in my mind.
0: Maybe. Yeah, sure. That's a reasonable comparison, except that she didn't, you know, come out of like she didn't write th- theater. Yeah, you yeah, know,
2: no, no I, Yeah. But in terms of like um, sort of instant flash in the pan, you know what I mean?
0: Um, well, and that and who was the writer of her own? You know, I mean, it, the thing that's nuts about him is that he's yeah he's not a great singer, but he's a good performer you know what i mean and he had ambitions as an actor you know that were that he pursued parallel to his you know um work as a songwriter and uh and theatrical writer as well um that you know he didn't like choose you remember <laughs> Yeah I, I it's funny to watch you know watch TV shows from many years ago that Lin Manuel Miranda shows up in as a you know as a as a featured player in like the episode of The Sopranos uh where um Christopher is in Los Angeles trying to make a movie and it <laughs> And Lynn manuel Miranda has this little featured moment where he's a bellhop at a hotel. Uh, this is the same um, episode with Lauren Bacall and it getting pushed over into the streets by the by the thugs. Uh, but he has this funny little moment. It's like, yeah, Lynn manuel Miranda was just like a jobbing actor. While at the same time, he was working on becoming, you know, the most important musical theater figure in The century I mean it's in the 21st century so far it's fascinating Uh, and then to have created this weird little niche for himself where he's a legit celebrity celebrity Mm -hmm. um, primarily for a piece of theater I mean he's obviously stepped into some film stuff it's interesting the marriage between him and Disney at this point too because he's clearly you know has a fairly is happy to have this fruitful partnership with them as well between this and like writing Moana's music and singing on that soundtrack. And then also, uh, doing the Mary Poppins sequel. And so obviously he's happy to be working with them. The biggest entertainment company on earth slash in history. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. You know, I, one of the other. So, I mean, that's all the the sort of stuff surrounding it. What's striking to me about the material itself. You know, it, it gets at something interesting about him as an artist to me is uh, he is sort of daring and um, avant garde probably saying too much, but he's, you know, experimental and on the edge of, like you say, sort of drawing from these. Uh, artistically daring, sort of theatrical trends, while at the same time being very mainstream. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, I mean, the, the sh-
2: material is mainstream. Yeah. The, the um, I mean, it's like what what a uh, like a uh, sort of a New York Times bestseller book.
0: Yes, yeah, based on a um, was it is it Walter Isaacson? Am I? No, that's no, not right. Not. No, it's not the other guy. <laughs> Yeah. Um based on a book that was a bestseller. And it's of, um,
2: I mean for, for me it's uh um with another creator it's a it's uh it's schoolhouse rock. You know.
0: You yeah, know I mean? it could be if it's not.
2: And this it, is and it certainly has those moments where like the the sort of teacher part is um almost rauncher now. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, thank you. Um, the um the teacher parts are, are there like and passionately. So, and um, he's just got enough balance that, that it doesn't become that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a result of his talent, right? He's uh-huh. got a prodigious talent as a lyricist and as a, you know, songwriter as well. He was um, interestingly, Steven one of Stephen Sondheim's protégés and, uh, he consulted with sondheim um when they did the uh that production of west side story with certain sections in spanish as well he worked with him on that and i I guess just worked with him in general so he carries with him you know and to have that imprimatur is a pretty impressive thing like obviously Sondheim is as a songwriter uh incredibly respected rightly so um and if you know if he was gonna choose someone to like say you know uh you know carry forth with this right uh to find a successor he he really picked the right guy it it would assume it would seem and and so it, it does make that go down easier like whatever didactic aspects to it there might be work because it's just lyrically fun you know, I mean, he has that sort of Shakespearean thing um, where he does the high-low mix really well, you know, uh, which is, you know, reaching for lofty themes and ideas, but also marrying it with, uh, with you know, pop culturally accessible. Also, you know, he's not afraid to go for dumb jokes that, uh, you know, that work and stuff. You know, it's it's that's tough to pull off and he he really do, doesn't i mean he's an enormously talented person um, but it is striking because it's all in the name of something that's that's fairly mainstream um, and traditional in terms of it's you know feelings about america I, it, it's complicated obviously by the fact you know that there, there is some criticism of uh, America writ large in there, um, but it's essentially sort of celebratory of the American dream and American potential in ways that, you know, weirdly put it out of step in some ways with the tenor of the moment. Uh, Which is interesting, like there is this healthy, robust sort of criticism of um, Hamilton, which I think we're going to see more of in the coming weeks when it it finally hits and becomes this object of of cultural discussion where there's going to be a heavy wave of pushback. Get ready for all of those think pieces, Um, you know, about why Hamilton is not good and in, in that way there's something very shrewd i think about uh putting it out right now too or serendipitous maybe um because i think that hamilton's always going to be very popular it's going to go down in history as you know um as one of the most important pieces of pop you know pop art of of this century certainly uh but the window for when Hamilton, as it exists right now, could have been created and come out, like, is is closing.
2: And and it was, uh, it was narrow to begin with.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: It it is, and to me, um, I mean, to me, it's it's uh, it's it's um. It's Obama art. Do you know what I mean? I mean yeah, like, it is in the way that um, the the and I feel this way actually about the Kennedys too. I mean, there was a window of time when though when when the the, the Kennedys in the White House occupied sort of national symbolic status, and the art that was generated at that time. And I know, I know, Hamilton was started before.
0: before yeah, but, then, it cre- but it took you know, shape. It, yeah,
2: it it was given voice. It was given a platform. I literally at the White House, um, yeah. the uh, in ways that uh, could only have happened in the Obama during that
0: moment. Yeah, yes. and you know, part of its ascendancy in popular culture, I think, was very much tied to that moment. You know, this, um, you know, what Obama's presidency really uh, represented uh, culturally artistically was this, you know, and as a political figure, he married a uh, a sort of old fashioned idea of America and American um, patriotism with um, a new aesthetic presentation, <laughs> part of which is like so basic that it's stupid. It's like, He was a black man. This is aesthetically different, but uh, you know, recontextualized all of that. But also uh, all of that sort of traditional stuff, uh, those traditional ideals, traditional ideas about um, you know what America stands for, and reclaimed them. You know, um, and said we, we, you can still have all of this, uh, and also move forward into the future. That was the promise of Obama's presidency. Uh, and, you know, th- that clearly seems to have been rejected <laughs> by the culture, that idea both on the right with from people who refused to sort of buy into that idea in the first place, but also on the left from people who I think, um, you know, got their feelings hurt, <laughs> to put it glibly. Um, You know, and uh, really sort of were disabused of their idealism. And you know, now it's interesting at this moment, like Obama is. And I think that honestly, Hamilton is going to occupy a similar position, which is to say Obama is beloved on the left, particularly, but also broadly, like from non-ideological people. People have good thoughts and feelings towards him generally you know, it, it absolutely despised on the right, but what are you going to do? That almost isn't worth talking about. Um, But I, the response to people on the left who feel warmly towards him, but really, well, most feel warmly towards him. Some feel he's problematic and on the sort of bleeding edge of the left, they absolutely despise him, right? I mean, if you go and look at sort of, uh, you know, sort of American Marxist Twitter um, and a lot of the sort of Bernie people. Uh, they just hate Obama so much. And I think that Hamilton is going to interestingly sort of occupy a similar place, which is to say we'll be broadly beloved and like have a warm place in the hearts of many people on the left and interestingly on the right as well, like Hamilton. I think, is broadly more popular than Obama, <laughs> um, but absolutely despised by, uh, you know, by a certain continu- you know, uh, contingency of people largely on the left. And I think that that's where Hamilton's going to land right now. Um, because for all of its, uh, you know, anybody who doesn't know, about this uh, in Hamilton, and I can't imagine anyone listening to this doesn't know, but I'll say it anyway, Uh, you know, the interesting conceit of Hamilton from a staging perspective is that all of the uh, roles of um, the Americans uh, and the people on the American side uh, who would have, who were all white people are played by people of color in the production. Uh, and it does something weirdly, you know, it, it is a radical idea that race becomes a signifier of um, radicalism. Right. That that's the idea. And the only people who are white in the show. Well, not the only people, there are dancers who. Um, but the only named characters who are played by white people are on the British side. In in the production, uh, which again I don't know you could get away with something like that necessarily. I mean, it's doing something dangerous in an interesting artistic way with with race, you know, as this uh, signifier of meaning, right? I mean, that's that's a risky, interesting piece of um, uh, staging and an artistic conceit that would feels much more dangerous in this moment of heightened awareness of race. Again, another thing that you you feel like Hamilton got in under the wire, being able to do what it did there at all. I mean, not, not that, you know, it's doing it in such a way where it's not like, where the politics of it aren't necessarily bad, but still it, it, it's striking to, you know, use, um, (laughs) I I don't think that people would like cancel Hamilton because of that or cancel Lin-Manuel Miranda, but it would be it feels much more dangerous. Like just from a funding perspective, I think a lot of people would be like, I don't know. You know, the backers might not feel quite as eager to uh, put something out there that, you know, grabs race as this, you know, um, conveyor of meaning in the same way. that they were willing to in the Obama era where I think people were a little bit more willing to be experimental about stuff like that.
2: Yeah. I, uh, th- th- Yes. It, I, I mean, I think, I, I just think there, um, there's every reason to think that after the Trump election, which I think actually Hamilton had something to do with on a sort of poetic level. Um, the, um, the, uh, the conversation would have been different. The reaction would would have been different. And when you say it got in under the wire, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I think it was it was a it was a a, a good bet to make um, during the Obama administration, and and the same the same bet would would maybe not pay off at at this time.
0: Well, I just think that. You know, speaking as somebody who is currently sort of developing a thing uh, that touches, you know, really explicitly on questions of um, race and uh, has certain sort of sociological uh, elements to it that that suddenly are, are controversial, you know, that's a tough line to walk right now. Um, and the people who fund things, you know, it's, there's a real open question about whether they're going to be willing to do that. I think that in the next few years, uh, we're gonna, we are maybe going to end up with a spate of entertainment that feels much more safe than some of the stuff that has been done. I think that you know the people who who make who just not the artists themselves, but the people who um, who fund film and television are going to want to take a great big step back from controversy over the next few years. You know, it's an interesting thing right now to see all of these uh, TV and uh, well, TV shows particularly um and distributors of television shows pull any episodes that are potentially offensive along racial or um ideological lines like anything that might get people really angry south park has removed all of their religiously offensive um Not all of their religiously, but a lot of their religiously offensive material Uh, just this last week. And there's been this whole (laughs) spate of television shows that have been uh, memory holding episodes that had blackface in them, which there are so many of them, weirdly, that, you know, it's like so many of them did that all in this very specific way, which is we're going to show blackface in the name of. Uh, showing how wrong and bad it is. It's like the portrayal of racist behavior in order to criticize racist behavior Um, that is suddenly, you know, everyone's like, ah, we can't do this. This was a bad idea. You know, know, (laughs) Tina Fey shows 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt both did that, but also um, uh, Community pulled... Um, an episode, uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David, uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross's show. They, they did one for Netflix, like a reboot of that, that had a sketch in it with, uh, that had blackface in it. Um, and all of these have been yanked. Uh, and in every case, the whole point of it was, this is offensive and disgusting. Look how clueless this person is for doing this thing. You know the punchline being like this is awful but uh you know nobody wants to defend that anymore understandably this is a moment where uh well it's like what we were uh well it doesn't matter uh you know nobody wants to touch that and uh and so for all of that it's like i think that it just shows this interesting kind of you know Uh, lack of will to do something that is potentially offensive or controversial. I think that that's going to go across you know the entertainment industry and again is uh, you know one of the reasons that Hamilton is going to I think stand out as this interesting odd little artifact that you know, was at the same time as you know, was uh, both mainstream and also daring in interesting ways. Peaked out there, <laughs> <And> then. <laughs> well, and
2: that, uh, that's one of the interesting pieces of this is to go to go back to Disney is is how this piece came up, um, in, in sort of how it was developed versus its current reception now. Where, right. where Di- Disney Disney has decided that that it's um it it, it fits
1: putting the it's brand do you know what I mean and yeah. it, it it's
0: and it doesn't feel weird at all it no. feels entirely on brand but that's amazing yep it's yeah it's what, unbelievable you're right I mean this thing that really was developed as this extremely daring um you know uh, piece of experimental theater i uh, that that you know went from the public to Broadway in New York. Um, you know, from this sort of marginal place to to the most mainstream of mainstream champion by, again, the largest entertainment company on earth slash in the history of the world. and is like they they're pushing it hard. like those commercials that they have for the uh, for the broadcast for the show um, that they're putting up it like opens with the Disney castle you know what I mean I mean they are like you know Walt Disney bringing you Hamilton
1: if you enjoy the work of Sweet T Shakespeare you can find us all over the socials we're on Facebook we have a special secret Facebook community group that we'd love for you to join Uh, We're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. We're on it. We're even starting TikTok. Uh, So join us. Click in. Give us a like. uh, And we'll look forward to seeing you in all of those places. If you'd like to contact us, we urge you to do so at ours at tshakespeare.com. That's H-O-U-R-S at SweetTeaShakespeare.com.
0: It's just fascinating because... Hamilton couldn't happen today, you know, if it was starting from scratch. Um, and yet, it is as mainstream as mainstream gets, is still wildly beloved, and will be for decades. You know, it's this interesting contradiction, right? This thing that you couldn't do again, um, and yet is the you know, most uh, is the sort of most mainstream distillation of popular culture in the world at this moment. I mean, it's like this; it really sort of encapsulates the weird split personality psychosis well, of our and, moment.
2: And, and it's also, I mean, to be uncharitable for a minute, this is what this is what white people do. They. <laughs> They take good art by people from uh, uh, of of uh, other places, uh, other uh, and I don't mean places. I mean of no, other I, backgrounds, other cultures, of other skin color, of other uh, cultures, and they they um, make it theirs. They and and so some of the move to Disney is. Um, I'm I'm, and I'm glad it's blessed by the creator. Don't get me wrong. I hope that I wish the guy more than blessed by
0: the creator. I mean, when Manuel Miranda has walked into a willing partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I'm,
2: but, but I'm thinking more broadly than Disney actually. I I mean, good for Disney, um, given its history, um, and, and taking the opportunity here to rewrite some of that history, I think is, is good for them. I have, have no complaints whatsoever, but, um, one of the one of the alarm bells that always goes off for me with Hamilton these days is is um, the sort of whitification of of the response to it, not the piece, but like um, you know it's it's uh, it's yuppie high school kids competing for tickets at at six hundred and fifty dollars a pop in the suburbs. That's the problem. And actually, the great thing about the Disney Lin Manuel release right now is is That it's once again like the piece itself subverting that.
0: Yeah, I mean he has spoken to that actually as well. Like part of his reason for doing the the album, the soundtrack album, the way that he did, was that he was a theater kid. Said growing up, but his family didn't have lots of money to go see shows on Broadway, Uh, and so the main way that he engaged with theater was through the soundtracks. Which again, you know, in that moment means the Les Mis soundtrack, means the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack, means Cats, means like as well as like older ones, but the contemporary ones from when he was a child were these like sung-through soundtracks that had the entire show on them, and that was how he, you know, um, became conversant in in the form and so there is a real you know that was part of the reason that he wanted to put out the soundtrack the way that he did to make it available to everybody who he knows aren't going to be able to afford 400 hundred dollar seats to see his shows but yeah the disney plus move really is that too it's like families who could never conceivably afford tickets which are cheaper now than they ever have been but still not cheap you know if you're going to see touring productions of that show uh can afford a seven to $9 a month subscription to Disney Plus, And are going to see it there where it will be forever. Um, and you know, that is interesting. I mean, the racial aspect of this is, is fascinating. I, and a lot of the pushback that you see right now, uh, I remember reading someone on Twitter who, uh, you know, said he's always skeptical of uh, of any time that a white audience, like, you know, uh, wildly embraces a piece of art from people of color. He always becomes very suspicious of it, <laughs> of that art, and has to go back and see what is it about the this that is attracting all these people. And he says inevitably, he finds something to not feel very comfortable with. And the fact of it is like Hamilton really does celebrate uh, America in this really unironic and unambiguous way. Like, you know, an America that's flawed. Yes. You know, but again, it's the Obama approach to to America, that the American dream is still good and worth believing in. Um, But, you know, for for all of our flaws and whatnot, the core of it is still good. And that is fundamentally at odds with um, a lot of what you see in the streets right now in our current moment. You know, the the um, idea uh, that America is not fundamentally good and needs to be remade in fundamental ways. Uh, that is a. Uh, That's the message of this moment, and it seems to be, uh, you know. And so it's interesting, you know, Hamilton is this thing that is beloved of white people. And maybe and it's not like, I mean, I don't want to overstate this, and I'm obviously not a person of color. So I'm not somebody who's speaking for anybody. But if you look around, you can see that there is a little bit more um, ambivalence portrayed by, you know, in certain communities uh about it for all that i mean y- you remember like what's fascinating is like the number of um and i i think that clearly the people involved in the show have some <laughs> feel again some ambivalence about this but it's a show that's beloved by uh you know mainstream political figures on on the right you know uh i remember all the stories about how like uh dick cheney's favorite musical right he loves hamilton when he went to see it and um like this string of uh republican politicians which is not to say all republicans are white and that all republicans like hey, black people or anything like that um but the people who made the show are self-identified unambiguously on the left in terms of their politics uh, so it's fascinating that This show was clearly beloved by people on the right. And then you have John Bolton uh, releasing his uh, book this week, uh, you know, (laughs) with and the title is a reference to uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's, you know, song from Hamilton, The Room Where It Happened. You know i think that there's a, i mean it just captures the weird ambi- ambivalence of this moment but i also think that that's like due to the fact that miranda's like illustration of politics and the way that politics works is actually something that politicians recognize as being true like regardless of their political affiliation if we're going to sort of take it away from the ideological uh you know they that song in particular the room where it happens um, i've heard many politicians and also media personalities who you know follow politics say that it's the most sort of honest encapsulation of of the drive to be in politics and the way that politics works that I, they've ever heard i, I remember uh, john Dickerson from 60 minutes political reporter um, you know with a storied history said that at the time, he said, I, you know, I've never seen, like, the idea of politics, uh, the way that politics works condensed in such a, you know, <laughs> coherent and uh, snappy way before. <laughs> and, I mean, that's that's part of And lin Miranda's father was a politician, so, I mean, that all makes sense that he has a grounding in that. But it's an amazing piece of art. You know, it, you can have conversations about it forever. That's great.
2: I saw it on Broadway. Um, I guess it's been three years ago or so. Um, John Lithgow was like five rows down from me with his grandkid. That's wild. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, like, um, I mean, I knew the whole show at that point. Um, I was expecting to be whelmed, you know, like, yeah, uh, just because I, I knew it. I'd seen the photos. I knew what how it was going to be staged. And there's still a sequence in Act Two um, from. Hurricane to Burn that just took the air out of the room.
0: Just phenomenal. That's interesting because like, the staging must be something pretty special on there because that's actually kind of a lull in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That si- sequence. So I suppose it makes sense that they must be doing something pretty impressive
2: with the staging
0: uh, to make that. Well, the staging is the, the staging's really great. Um,
2: They have um, concentric turntable that, that go in opposite directions, and and so they can do some things with Hurricane there that were pretty fantastic. But not all. But also, despite having all of that technology, um, still sort of hitting the minimalist, um, um, checking that box. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: but I just I, I found the the it just becomes less about um, uh, flash there and more about. Um, pretty hard look at, at a couple of those characters and uh, are
0: just really great. That's uh, cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. I have not seen the show yet. We uh, had bought tickets um, this year to see the touring company in L.A. Um, as I said, like it's the first time I think this year is the first time that tickets really became something on par with what you would pay to see most shows you know, uh, elsewhere. Uh, and then all the, uh, productions got canceled because of our horrendous coronavirus here. So we seeing the Disney plus one before I ever see it live. Um, but that's okay. Be interesting. It's interesting the way that kids really, uh, are aware of it too. Like my 10 year old daughter, um, is super enthused to see it and it's a object of tremendous interest with kids her age which again you know has not been true of a piece of theater since the 80s i think like that you could find something like in movies yeah yeah i you know i remember (laughs) but you know but that's the thing it's like it's comparable to sort of the the way that kids in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, were obsessive about Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera or uh, Cats, um, you know, uh, but, but on a much larger scale. Right. I mean, because that was sort of still for all the popularity of those pieces of work were still confined to, you know, theater nerds or, you know, the, the people who played those soundtracks forever, and that's just not where we are right now. Is there anybody else who's, like, comparable in, in terms of, like, anything else in theater? I mean, there was a weird little boomlet. Like, people tried to sort of suggest that Dear Evan Hansen also had some <laughs> uh, comparable sort of effect on pop culture among teenagers, but... I'm sort of skeptical on that claim. In fact, they, they actually embrace it. Like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda did a series of sort of um, of uh, supplementary songs for the soundtrack that he released over the course of a year um, that were variations or alternate songs that didn't make it into the show or just different interesting things. And he was a whole uh, medley-like combination of a song from Dear Evan Hansen and uh, it and uh, and one of the songs from Hamilton together uh with Ben Platt who is the star of that show like singing with was it Ben manuel Miranda yeah, it is. yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: two of them singing together
2: uh yeah I think uh, for, for my money Dear Evan Hansen is is huge and it's it's impact is mostly theater Yeah. Um, and whereas whereas I think Hamilton is, impact is everywhere. Um yeah. like all aspects of pop culture. And um yeah, I mean the only thing that I hear people singing, um like like uh I mean it's is are, are those two shows yeah. and um and Greatest Showman. Um, <laughs> which was also written by the Dear Vanci. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's, um, uh, and and there, I mean, I don't know. There's, um, you know, it, it's weird. It's weird how these musicals have infected things for the first time after a, a, after a pretty sizable break.
0: You know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, like the last time that there was a bump like this, I think was Rent, and then there was just like nothing for a long time and now this funny little boomlet i don't know i it's hard for me to get a handle on the pop culture of the moment with like what kids are going to like and stuff but i it it's a strange mix of cultural influences that young people right now are absorbing you know what i mean like this sort of odd you know theater geeky moment uh, combined with, you know, everything else that's happening in the world, it's like, I don't know, taste in the next 20 years, is going to be fascinating to see how that all like works itself out. But, uh, yeah, what do you think the chances are that Hamlet sticks around for the next, you know, 60 years that people will be doing that show? Um
2: 60 years might be a little long, but, um, maybe I, uh, and again,
0: how old is Oklahoma?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's older than that. Right.
0: It's like, uh, we'll eight, this
2: have 70 years. Um, yeah.
0: The are productions yeah. of Oklahoma happening all I mean, over the place.
2: In terms of it's in terms of it's important and, 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 uh, importance and sort of, um, feature, as, as being a feature of study. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's here forever. Um, I do wonder if uh, I I do think it it will age. I don't right. think it's
0: aging yet. Yeah, I, well, do I don't yet? know. I mean, I think it is. Uh, I think it is already aging it, for some of the reasons that we've talked about. And the thing that I'm going to be the most interested to watch is when you know community theater productions of this show start happening, and they will in the next twenty years or so. Uh, sometime in the that period, uh, high schools and community theaters and you know theaters at all levels are going to start doing Hamilton. Uh, I am curious to see if the um, sort of the element of the 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 racial element of the casting continues to persist. Uh, you know, to what extent is that written into the text in a way that? Uh, people are going to be compelled by the company to maintain, you know, um, because who, because there are plays that get published that way, right? Like this play, this must be played by a person of X race, you know, or, or if it'll be entirely open, my suspicion based on things that I've heard, uh, manuel Miranda say, Uh, is that it will probably be left open. Um. And then it will be interesting to see how the play. Uh, plays. When that ceases to be a dominant. Uh, feature of its presentation. Because inevitably. It'll be difficult to maintain. you just, you know, when it goes out into the world, given the extent of its popularity, it will be difficult to maintain the sort of racial makeup of the cast as currently constituted when it's being done in high schools, mm-hmm. in very, you know, white communities, uh, in addition to, you know, other places where it is actually possible to maintain that. And I... Um, I think it'll be interesting. I, uh, you know, and that, you know, being such a sort of locus of discussion around it initially. When that's taken out of the mix, what will that do to the show? Uh, It's an interesting question. And one I suppose we'll find out, assuming that society continues to exist for the next twenty years,
2: which is fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, we'll see.
2: All right, man. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Talk I'll to see mother. you in a
1: couple weeks.
0: All right,
2: dude. Have a good trip. We'll talk about all of the things that I'm supposed to watch now.
0: Okay. <laughs> Have fun. We'll talk Bye. to you later. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye.
1: You've been listening
0: to the Sweet Tea Shakespeare After Hours. Thanks for joining us and for being a patron of Sweet Tea Shakespeare. Catch you next time.